box to box stoppage time. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Hello and welcome to Box to Box Stoppage Time. You're with Rob Gilbert, Michael Edgeley and Derek Dyson for our podcast spinal from the main show where we go through our highlights of the past week, teams, moments of the week and plenty more. Now, Derek and Edge, we, we took the week off last week. It got a little bit too tight, but um, we've got a, a stack more to uh, to pump into this week's show and we'll, we'll make up for lost time, I think. You say the season's over, but, you know, with international... Uh, football in full swing and a uh, Women's World Cup on the horizon. There's there's plenty to talk about. And you got plenty for us, Edge? I certainly have, Rob. I'm always looking forward to stoppage time. So much happened in the last week. There was too much to choose from. I know. It's almost like, you know, first in best dress to get the, the sort of the cherry picking, but it, it does sort of make you do a little bit more research and homework um, in these sorts of weeks because, you know, like you both said, there's plenty on, but you just got to find find the uh, the jewels out of what's going on. But Derek, I know, you, let's start off with you with your game of the week because you've got a crack up. Yeah, I, I went for the, uh, the Wales game. They were playing Armenia uh, at home in Cardiff. And unfortunately for Wales, who have got a very fine qualifying record of recent years. Um, it was probably, and has been said, their most embarrassing uh, and damaging defeat in recent memory, losing at home to Armenia, 71 places below Wales in the uh, the world ranking. As it was all looking so good when Dan James fired them uh, in front, but Armenia got it back to uh, 1-0, 2-1, 3-1. Some brilliant goals, by the way. Anyone who hasn't seen these goals, you've watched them because some of them were... Absolute worldies. Uh, Wales did get it back to 3-2 with 20 minutes to go, only for another amazing goal from Armenia. I will give the name a go. Uh, uh, Zelarayan uh, scored the goal. Um, absolute calamity. It would have been a chance for Wales to go top of their group. Instead, now they're sitting in the middle of their group and their uh, the qualification is looking under severe threat. They will play Turkey next, and that is now a absolutely must win game. Some people calling for Rob Page's head, which I think is probably a little bit premature given uh, what he's done. But obviously we're in this post-Bale Wales era now, and despite the fact they've got the likes of Dan James, Brennan Johnson from Nottingham Forest, Aaron Ramsey, the captain, like they were obviously missing their talisman, Rob. Uh, but it was a cracking game of football, and uh, yeah, Wales have got a lot to do. So as you said, like this post Qatar World Cup uh, uh, w- was always going to happen. This uh, this regeneration in the as you say, you know, Gareth Bale's uh, departed, and uh, um, and Wales need to, to reshape and redefine themselves. But we we sort of did see this in the World Cup, didn't we? I mean, they they um, they were they were mighty in the Euros, but uh, we started to see the cobwebs and the weaknesses in Qatar, didn't we? We did. I mean, look, to be honest, I, I use this phrase a lot on this show. I just feel like it's a club or a team returning to the mean. They have overperformed for the size of their country, the size of the football pool that they get to choose from. Obviously, having really, really world-class players, particularly Gareth Bale, has allowed them to um, overperform and reach these tournaments. It feels like Wales are now reverting to the mean because, you know, in their group, Croatia, pretty good team. Turkey, pretty good team. So this is always going to be a tough assignment, but... I think calling for Rob Page, his head now is probably a little bit premature. I think they should stick with him. Yeah, no, they've had a good 
um, 20 years. It's the last thing you need is uncertainty, especially after what he's done. Uh, now, Ed, you are uh, an Africanophile. Is that the word? Or did I just make a word up? You, you love African football. Um, so you've, uh, you've plucked the game from, from the CAF Nations League. Yeah, CAF Nations League's underway at the moment in South Africa. Beat uh, the semi-finalists from Qatar, Morocco, two goals to one. Bafana, Bafana. They were playing at Soccer City in Soweto in Johannesburg, the home of the 2010 FIFA World Cup final. And it was a fantastic game, full of um, the wonderful noises of Vuvuzelas. And in the fifth minute, it was a blunder from the Morocco goalkeeper, Mounir Mohamedidi. Uh, his blunder uh, from a Perry Tao Cross shot. Let's just listen to the commentary. Here is Percy Tal, threatening ball into the area. The keeper spots it into the net. What a start that is! Percy Tal will get credit for the goal, but it's a dreadful mistake by Munir Mohamedi. Well, that set the scene, and then uh, South Africa got another goal. Uh, La Passa scoring in the 48th minute, and then uh, that was before Hakim Zaker from uh, Chelsea, uh, Morocco's uh, tallies man, uh, made it 2-1, and they hung on. Uh, for a 2-1 and a famous victory that takes South Africa to the top of Group K in the Nations League. But great to see Bafana Bafana winning a big game because they are uh, a lot of fun to watch. Well, that's a massive game, especially after Morocco's heroics in the World Cup. They would have been dead set favourites for that. And, you know, South Africa have underperformed for a long time now. So, uh, um, yeah, well done, South Africa. Good result for them. Now, I uh, got up early this morning, so we're recording Monday evening our time. And uh, and I tuned into the the Nations League final. Now we all remember when this Nations League concept first um, emerged, similar to the Euro Conference League. A lot of people, you know, put shit on it and suggested it was just a you know another trophy. But for me, it's sort of almost emerging as like a a, a mini Euros. And uh, and the, the the seriousness with which not only the the the, the nations and the fans are taking it, um, it just adds luster to it in the same way as the you know the Euro Conference League. So. So for anyone who didn't watch the uh, the, the Spain-Croatia game, uh, get onto Optus or YouTube or whatever and, and just watch the highlights. But uh, and it, it was just another heartbreak for Luka Modric and, and Croatia. You know, it was meant to be their first international trophy, um, but they, as we now know, lost on penalties uh, to Spain. It was it was a nil-all draw. Uh, at the uh, the end of regulation, it was a goalless period of extra time. Um, and who who else would you expect but the the man of the hour? He's just completed the treble with Manchester City, um, but Rodri steps up um, with a, a man of the match performance. Uh, Danny Carvajal. Who would have thought a, a defender like him? You know, would, would, admittedly, we we know defenders uh, have to step up, uh, but um, but he uh, he delivers a panenka to to win the match. Uh, it, it should have been a, a lot easier for Spain in that penalty shootout in the end. Uh, um, the um, the first uh, uh, penalty that was saved uh, by Simon from Lovro Maya um, uh, was uh, was the, the the shift the pendulum shift and how often do we see it that that when a save occurs uh, there will be another uh, piece of jeopardy that occurs in the same penalty shootout and it happened immediately after Emmerich Laporte um, just slammed his goal was meant to be the winner into the into the crossbar uh, but it didn't matter because um, you know geez aren't they turning out some some proper goalkeepers uh, the Spanish uh, and he, he saved uh, 
with a, just a nice thump of a palm into uh, Petkovic's shot. So, you know, the victory, it was sweet for Spain. Um, they obviously lost. We talked about Morocco a moment ago uh, in the last 16 to the Moroccans in, in the shootout and, and didn't score a single penalty. So, you know, important for them to sort of bounce back. But as I said, for Croatia, it was just heartbreak. Again, uh, they lost, as we know, the final of the 2018 World Cup to France. They finished third at Qatar in 2022 and they were absolutely desperate. It felt like with all the Croatian flags and, and, the, and the noise in the crowd, um, a home game for the Croatians. Um, so, um, yeah, the Nations League final, Spain beating Croatia in a penalty shootout, my game of the week. If you haven't watched it, uh, find the highlights somewhere and do yourself a favour. You watched a bit of it yourself? I did. Well, I was just going to say the balls on uh, Cavial with the uh, the winning penalty there, right? It was, mm-hmm. um, you know, in that situation as a defender, you'd expect him to drill it down the middle or drill it low into the corner, but to uh, to go and do the Zidane or whatever, just you know, chip it gracefully into the goal to win another another trophy for Spain. That was uh, certainly what I think Troy Deeney would call took a lot of cojones. Yeah. So, uh, it, it, it was it was amazing to, to watch it in the end, but it's it's you know the, that emergence of, of this this new um, Spanish generation though, isn't it? That that really underscores this. I mean, Croatia, it's the end of a cycle, but for them, you know, the Spanish, you know, the likes of you know Ansu Fati, Jeremy Pino, Xavi, the with a G um, arriving. This is a squad that that I think is going they're going to do a lot of um, damage in, in in the big international tournaments over the over the years to come, guys. Do you remember at school, Rob, where, you know, or even now, you'd say, well, you know, if my team beat your team, but your team beat my team, then your team must be better, you know, that way that you can go about it. Well, that that must mean that Scotland are de facto European champions because, of course, they beat beat Spain in the last round of fixtures and Mm -hmm. uh, um, are in Spain's group for uh, for the qualifying, for the Euros, and they're my team of the week. And while I may be cheering on roaring on England in the ashes, I'm certainly roaring on uh, the Scots uh, in in the football states. And they pulled off the most unlikely uh, win away in Norway, which has really set them up in this group. I mean, hate to say it, and I'm going to touch some wood somewhere in the studio, mm-hmm. but we really need to qualify from here. Like, there's no excuses now. Um, and this this Norway team... Okay, they didn't go to the last World Cup, but they do have a guy called Haaland up front, which you, you guys may be familiar with. There's a guy called Odegaard in the middle of the park. He's pulling the strings. And, of course, uh, it was Haaland who put Norway uh, in the lead with his 53rd goal of the season from the uh, penalty stop. stop. But um, the Scottish legend that is uh, Lyndon Dykes, you know, <laughs> Scottish through and through. Scottish is a bag of haggis and a sporran. Um, got got a nice little topo to, to to get the Scots back level, and of course, amazing goal from uh, McLean at the end there to to win it. And Norway, where you know they've had their qualification hopes absolutely trashed, and uh, Scotland at the top of Group A, nine, nine points out of nine, six six clear of Spain, eight clear of Norway. They've got Georgia at home at Hamden. You'd think if they won that one, Rob, they'd be one step, one foot in the uh, in the uh, road to Germany. So team of the week, the mighty Scotland. 
Yeah, and, and that result against Georgia for, for a lot of our listeners will have been known by that stage. And, and listen to your summit commentary. Uh, uh, they've, uh, with the great Roddy Forsyth on uh, the BBC, uh, saying that Scotland have never won four games in a row for qualifying for anything. And it was Lyndon Dykes who, who it was a lovely little uh, give off for that second goal as well. And uh, um, and we, we didn't clip the audio out, but Steve Clark, the, the, the Scottish manager, uh, uh, wrapping up Lyndon Dyke saying he's very proud of his nation he's a proud Scotsman and uh, just for any Aussies out there he just uh, he just rammed home the, the point that uh, that he's a, he's a Scotsman but hey you know um, we've got a few Scotsmen in uh, in our side uh, um, with the surnames of Boyle and Sutar so uh, you know if it's good for the goose it's good for the gander isn't it Edge? Yes it is good I can't believe Derek's getting so excited with uh, Scotland beating Norway come on give me a break Derek anyway my team of the week is the under 20 uh, Uruguayans who last week won the under-20 FIFA World Cup. The reason they're my team of the week is it's the first trophy that Uruguay have won since 1950 when they uh, when they uh, won the uh, World Championship, the World Cup. So it's been a long spell uh, between drinks for Uruguay. Um, uh, really incredible scenes in La Plata in Argentina. Of course, La Plata is only a short short little uh, skip across the river plate for the Uruguayans to get into Argentina. They packed it. Uh, back in Uruguay, they suspended the local professional league so the entire nation could watch this. So it was big stuff. And we might just see a lot more of this group of players in the Uruguayan senior team because obviously uh, Marcelo Bielsa has taken over as the head coach of the Uruguayan senior team. And who can forget, Derek, when he was coaching Chile, he, he plucked four players out of the Chilean under-20s straight into the national team, and they, did a, they didn't do so bad. Alexis Sanchez, uh, Tillo Vidal, uh, Gary Mead, and, um, and uh, Isla as well. They were the four players that, uh, that uh, Bielsa plucked out when he was coaching Chile back in 2007. So um, I, I think that is a great performance by the Uruguayans. They, of course, won against who, Rob? Italy, 1-0. Mm. And, uh, and Uruguay, uh, they celebrated like only a South American football nation could by winning uh, some international silverware. Yeah, well, we all know we've got a long and storied history with the Uruguayans and um, they uh, were the hosts of the very first World Cup and they um, they often sort of uh, proselytise that it is their divine right to be involved and to be winning World Cup. So uh, if they can't win a senior men's or women's, then, um, you know, a junior one sets them up, I guess, hopefully for them, for a bit of a crack at it over, over years to come, Edge. Yeah, and of course, the out of 20 uh, tournament in Argentina had some great storylines. Of course, yeah. Uruguay defeated Israel in the semi-final. That was the first time Israel yeah. had gone that deep in a yeah. World Cup uh, as well, and such a, an amazing uh, group of uh, young footballers from Israel. So yeah. some yeah. good stories there, but well done to Uruguay. And yeah. Marcelo Bielsa was in the, uh, the stands. He, no doubt he would have liked what he's seen. Yep. Yeah. Probably would have ridden his bike to the stadium if the reports out of Leeds uh, during his time there were uh, anything to go by. Now, my team of the week, I know this one um, was the week prior to the international break, but I took the week off last week and we skipped stoppage time, stoppage time so I'm going to make allowances and nominate Yokohama F. Marinos, who struck deep into injury time to give 
them a 4-3 comeback win against J-League First Division struggler Kashiwara Sol on Saturday, a week ago at Nissan Stadium, and it secured them their fourth straight win. So the result in combination with Vissel Kobe's 2-1 loss to Serato Azaka saw the Marinos move three points clear at the top of the table over Kobe, which has played one game fewer. Now, they started the day trailing Kobe on goal difference and opened the scoring on Anderson Lopez's 13th minute spot kick after winger Elba was tripped in the area. Rasol drew level in the 40th when Marinos set a back Eduardo deflected across into his own net. Now the Brazilian made amends uh, with a long ball to his compatriot Elba to finish on the break and send his side into halftime leading 2-1. So it's a cracking game already at halftime. Sashiro Toshima equalised barely a minute into the second half for the underdogs and looks set for just their third win after Dutch forward J. Roy Grot, a February arrival from the Danish side Viborg headed in a long ball on the 73rd minute. But with the clock ticking away, Lopez responds with a classy header of his own to keep Musket's men alive. Now, with Ange Postacoglu making all the headlines, the question has to be asked. Derek, I'll ask you this question. Is Kevin Musket making a claim to be our second Australian manager on an EPL trade? trajectory if he wins back-to-back J-Leagues. Now, he's already had a stint in the Belgian uh, um, leagues and didn't do that well, uh, but uh, the same thing happened to Ange in the third division of the Greece uh, League, and that didn't hold him back. So, you know, obviously Ange's reputation, no one knew who he was, but Musket's reputation precedes him. So, you know, can you imagine the noise uh, in England if he returns, you know, the player voted the most hated player in in the history of football um, in the technical area at a Premier League club? Five times. Not the once, but five times. <laughs> well, he, he certainly has more of a sort of English football pedigree than Ange. Um, and look, it would, I mean, in a way, it might depend on how well Ange does because, mm. you know, clubs tend to follow trends. I remember when Arsene Wenger came via Japan, of course, to Arsenal, and then all of a sudden everyone wanted to have a French manager. Tottenham went and uh, uh, hired a French manager, I think, called Jack Santini. And I'm pretty sure half of it was because of uh, of Arsenal's uh, connection there. When Jose Mourinho became popular, Chelsea went and uh, hired uh, Andre Vizboas uh, from uh, Porto, seeing as to him as like the second coming of the uh, the chosen one. So um, I don't <clears throat> know much about Muskie uh, in terms of apart from the results, but you know, not not in terms of his coaching um, credentials, but obviously. You know, Japan seems to be a bit of a launch pad, whether it's Mr. Wenger or Mr. Postacoglu. But if Ange can do something with Spurs, maybe uh, Australian football managers will be in demand. And uh, we we do have that throwaway line that he was voted, you know, five times the most hated player in uh, in England. However, the clubs that he played at, he was loved, Kevin Musket. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Wolverhampton, Millwall, obviously, they absolutely, and Rangers, they absolutely loved him because of his... Um, dependability and aggressiveness. So um, I think if he gets a job in England, you know, in the championship or, you know, maybe in the Premier League, who knows, um, he would, um, I think the the club that he coaches, the fans would would take to him with open arms. I'm sure of that. Mm, yeah, it, uh, it, it's just going to be fascinating to watch, isn't it? I mean, if, 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 he, if he can get the job done, and we're only halfway through the season, I think um, match day 17, and there's 34 of them in the J-League. So, you know, not quite done there yet. But but they did start slowly, and they're, and they're coming back, and four games in a row suggests that they're, uh, you know, they're, they're finding that sort of premiership uh, winning form. So, you know, I guess just watch this space. Um, and, um, and who knows, if Rangers have a, a bad run, why wouldn't they uh, pick a, a, an old... Uh, um, uh, 
player who who had a, a great reputation with them um, to to uh, to come in and, and do something. Who knows? Watch this space. Now, Edge, why don't we go with your hot topic? Because I'm going to join in with Derek for his um, at sure. the end, and um, um, you got a good one to to, to bring us on. Well, obviously, the CONCACAF Nation Leagues is underway at the moment. In fact, um, the final was uh, overnight. But I'm picking a game that was between the USA and Mexico, which USA won 3-0. And it was, um, you know, as if that uh, that derby uh, in that neck of the woods is a tense and bitter and spiteful one at the best of times. But if it needed any more spice and, and uh, tension, uh, it got seriously out of control. Obviously, expatriate Mexicans in the USA dominate uh, whenever this fixture is played in the USA. This game was played in Las Vegas. So 70, even though it was played in Las Vegas, 75% of the stadium um, crowd were Mexicans um, or expatriate Mexicans. And they um, obviously make a lot of noise. And USA Soccer's made a big thing about the Mexicans who have a uh, quite uh, disgusting uh, anti-gay uh, chant, which is been sung in Mexican football stadiums at national team games for a very long time. They were thundering out this chant for the entire game. And despite um, PR announcements over the the audio and big screen um, messages, the the chant, they were, they were just, the Mexican fans just totally ignored it. Um, and as a result of that, um, you know, tension spilled over. There was um, scuffles involving the benches. There was four red cards by the end of the game. The referee, thankfully, ended the match uh, four minutes early because he was a little bit worried about what was happening. And um, as a result of that, all eyes are now on the US Soccer Federation who are thinking about playing Mexico in future in-home fixtures behind closed doors. So that story's got a long way to go. In the state of politics in America, um, the foreign or the, the foreign relationships between Mexico and the USA are at an all-time low. So politics spreading over into sport, uh, yeah, not not nice stuff. And if you see some vision of it on the on the highlight screen, it's not too good. Um, and it will be a sad thing if uh, the USA and Mexico, um, when they played in the United States, were playing in front of no people. Yeah, it's 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 just disgraceful that um, that these things go on. But you know, we, we seem to be reporting on something similar every other week. Uh, uh, the uh, you know the the, the Mexican football um, credential is is well established. They're one of the great footballing nations. So to you know to to disgrace their entire nation with this kind of behaviour, Derek. Um, you know, empty stadiums seems to be the only punishment that um, that, that that fits the crime. Yeah, I think so, and um, all eyes will be on uh, Mexico in a few years when they host the World Cup, so I think it's probably something that they'll, you know, want to look to clamp down on um, a little bit, and uh, yeah, you know, you said, you you know, we see it all over the world, the, the punishments don't fit the crime, um, so yeah, we'd like to see some some beefier sanctions, that's for sure. All right, mate, let's bring it home with, well, let's call it a combined sort of um, hot topic um, to, of the week. Um, one, of the, one of the great names of football, stepping down from his role, but, um, but not but appears gone forever. Yeah, before we jump into it, let's just hear a little bit of the uh, aforementioned person in action. Manchester City are still alive here. Balotelli, Aguero! I swear you'll never see anything like this ever again. 
Stadium of Light. Two goals in added time for Manchester City to snatch the title away from Manchester United. Stupendous! Yeah, what what uh, an amazing call there, Rob, from uh, our very own Martin Tyler. We can claim him a little bit, I think, having been on the show uh, a few times. Uh, he's stepping down from his uh, role uh, at Sky Sports after um, 30, 33 years. That that call was one of many amazing moments, some of which also appear in our Idensa music um, around the show. But as you said, he's uh, he's retiring from probably the biggest gig in football, which is the Sky Sports commentator job. There's probably uh, no more revered a show uh, as that one. But he will still be around, you know. I'm sure still doing uh, world feed uh, and other other type stuff. Um, you know, he is certainly the voice of my childhood and commentated on some of my favourite memories as a as a football fan. Um, the partnership with Andy Gray was obviously well known as well. Obviously, Andy Gray uh, went off and did different things, um, but but him and him and Richard Keys were uh, with with. Uh, Martin were the triumvirate that brought um, the, the wonder of the Premier League to UK homes in the l- mid-late 90s, early 2000s. Um, and I just think when you listen to that versus what we have to listen to sometimes from the Premier League, which is the world feed commentators commentating on their own, you just can't compare. There's no, there's no comparison there, is there, between the two, the two types. Uh, none, none whatsoever. Um, and I know Ed, you want to comment on this as well. But uh, um, Dominic Gallardi from SBS has got a lot to uh, to be um, uh, a lot of credit to take for for bringing Martin Tyler's voice into the homes of Australian football fans all those years ago. Now I, it was funny when we did our our um, our offside uh, segment with Martin. If you haven't listened to it, find it on your podcast catcher. Uh, when when he um, he approached him at, at Parramatta Stadium on his only visit to Australia, but since then he's become synonymous with uh, the SPS coverage and uh, and commentating in his uh, you know mellifluous at times understated but at times just so excited and one of the things that I just love as a as a commentator uh, that he he has always delivered is this capacity to describe interpret understand the nuance and flow of a game but then lift to that crescendo for the moment instantaneously without uh, having any uh, any what appears to be pre-prepared scripts of lines that he wants to to um, to say uh, uh, that um, that always land in a really clunky fashion. Um, you know, he was the the default commentator on FIFA video uh, games from 2005 to 2020 with uh, Andy Gray, as you mentioned earlier on. Uh, and uh, he's just so generous with his time. I know from our point of view, every time we reach out to Martin, he's always available. He's always courteous. If he can't do it, he might be in the middle of a World Cup or preparing for a Champions League, and he'll just say, "Sorry, Rob, I've got to prepare for a match in a couple of days." And then you double check, he goes, "Oh yeah, of course, Martin's preparing for the Champions League or a World Cup final or whatever." But he always responds to you, and he always comes on when he when he can edge. And uh, you know, for the, the very fact that um, that there are you know that there's a there's a pantheon of great sporting commentators, and and uh, and there's a um, a lot of great uh, football commentators that sit in that group. Uh, Martin is as good as it gets. Uh, he is, and I mean, it's incredible that he had such an amazing relationship with um, Australian, uh, with football on Australian television. Because not only were we 
getting um, Martin for those international games. We're also getting him at World Cups. We're getting him mm, mm. Uh, through all of the SBS coverage, FA Cups and uh, the feeds that we were getting. So he is incredible um, relationship with Australia, but he's only been here once. Yeah, yeah. And I know that of all the people we've had on the program, uh, we've had some pretty amazing guests on our program. Derek, I reckon Rob Gilbert goes a bit fanboy when Martin comes on the program, don't you? Well, a, a little bit. Um, probably definitely the top three. But uh, I feel like it's well well deserved because he's uh, he's an absolute legend of the game. And, yeah, um, we, I'm sure we'll still hear him from time to time. Um, and I read that Peter Drury, mine and Rob's favourite commentator, will be yeah, taking, the sky, taking, taking the Sky Sports job. And uh, all I can say is at least we don't have Sky Sports here, eh, Rob? Oh, I know, I know. And yeah, guilty as charged on the fanboy thing. I remember Edge all those years ago when we were preparing for this, listening to, to lots and lots of commentary to pick out those IDs and audios. So I'll, I'll try the dollar pack when we get Martin on next time. But yeah, <laughs> when I read today that Peter Drury was going to replace him, I thought, you know, you could, it's going from the sublime to the ridiculous. Uh, there, there's a word uh, that sort of leaps to my mind. And I know a lot of people love Peter Drury and, and that's good for them. But, uh, but you know, florid, you know, sort of embellished, over-elaborate, uh, uh, pre-prepared uh, um, commentary. That, that's the way that, that he sort of seems to go about things. But you know what? He's going to be around for a long time. So I'm going to rise to the occasion and I'm going to try and give him a second chance because I don't want to listen to football on mute. All right? So let's uh, let's close that point on uh, on that score and, and wrap it up, boys. Um, we'll get Martin on soon and um, and have a chat because hopefully there's a, a bit more of, of the great man to come in. You know, uh, and other guys maybe with uh, more Australian football. Edge, well done. Thank you. Yes, yeah, thank you, Rob. Great show. Well done, Derek. Thank you, mate. Next week. Thanks, gents. See you soon. And our good mate, Adam Maloney, who's stepping in for Damien Tardio, uh, editing and uh, and producing the show and making sound as good as we uh, we possibly can uh, to put it together for you to have a listen to. Please subscribe to Box to Box Stoppage Time and Offside, wherever you get your podcasts. Tweet us at Box to Box NTS and follow us on Twitter. Make sure you like us on Facebook and join us throughout the week as our podcasts drop and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.